Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions, an accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode Number 3 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, October 26th, 2018. I guess we can call this the pre-Halloween edition of the Bobcast. And man, oh man, October 26th already. Has October ever flown by? We're almost four weeks into the NHL season. Um, Big news on the Bobcast today. First off, we've uh, got a new sponsor to welcome to the Bobcast. So thanks to our new friends at Untucket for being uh, on the Bobcast team. And I'll be talking more about the great Untucket shirts in a little bit. In the meantime, as a welcoming gift, I, I think we can call this the Untucket edition of the Bobcast. I dare say we can also call this the... Uh, the uh, High for Hours edition of the Bobcast. Hit it, Mulls. This is called being high as shit. the name of this song, nigga, the highest shit for hours. Here we go. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've heard by now, cannabis is now legal in Canada and has been since October 17th. So technically, I could legally be high for hours and be recording this podcast right now. Now, I should point out that is not the case. You definitely don't want to drive any vehicle or operate any machinery, heavy or otherwise, while under the influence. Now, that includes booze, of course, but also now cannabis. Hey, but since I'm a responsible podcaster, I would never go on a mind-bending experience before recording, though I could be talked into sipping on a nice Super Tuscan right about now. Now, I know you guys are laughing at me. I, listen, you're saying, come on, old man, don't be playing the weed card with us. Fair enough. Though to that, I would simply offer up two things. One, Willie Nelson... And two, yeah, the old 420 train kind of left the station without me a long, long time ago. But if you do the math on being 62 years old right now, which I am, it means my formative teenage years were in the late 60s, early 70s. And no, weed wasn't legal back then, but it was everywhere. This song, by the way, of course, is by the great J. Cole. Um, really like his music, uh, Crooked Smile, Power Trip, really kind of a cool, laid-back vibe. Um, this song, as you might have guessed from, from the music so far, if you're not familiar with it, is High for Hours. But it's not actually about drugs as much as it is about social justice or, to be more precise, social injustice. In any case, uh, great stuff from J. Cole, and uh, uh, I thought that was an appropriate tune for uh, this edition the High for Hours edition of the Bobcast. Anyways, back to high times at Woburn Collegiate Institute. I will neither confirm nor deny any personal involvement with then illegal substances. And if uh, the otherwise happened to be the case, whether or not I may or may not have inhaled, 
let's just say that summer of 1971, which was I was what my 15 year old summer, the one between grade nine and grade ten. Well, let's just say my recollection of it may be a little bit foggy, a little hazy, if you will. But if you do play any song off the Doors' L.A. Woman album, that might be a trigger point for me. Now, as an aside, if, if you kids want to check out some geezer rock from 47 years ago, I would strongly suggest giving the Doors' L.A. Woman, LA Woman album a spin. Um, one of our mission statements here at the Bobcast, as everybody knows, is to, uh, to help you millennials and young guys um, and, and ladies um, listen to some good old music from time to time. And this Doors L.A. Woman album would certainly be it. Um, for the Doors, it, it had some relatively commercial music. Uh, Lover Madly and Riders on the Storm, which I guess you could describe as a great stoner song. It was one of those songs that went for nine or ten minutes. And, of course, the title track, L.A. Woman, which is really top-notch, those were the real marketable songs on that album. As much as I love those well-known songs from, uh, from the L.A. Woman album, some of the lesser songs are, are really terrific. Um, I really love Hyacinth House. And, and probably my favorite song on the album is known as The Wasp, but better known as Texas Radio and the Big Beat. Let's play a little bit of it here. Tell you about Texas Radio and the Big B. Comes out of the Virginia swamps, cool and slow with plenty of precision. And the backbeat narrow and hard to master. Some call it heavenly in its brilliance, others mean and rueful of the Western dream. Constructed pyramids in honor of our escaping. This is the land where the Pharaoh died. Immaculate, Jim Morrison. Gotta love it. That's a great, uh, a great tune. Um, there's a great line coming up too, where he says, "No eternal reward will forgive us now for wasting the dawn." You know, I always meant to tell Gord Downey of the Tragically Hip um, that I thought he and the Hip could have done a great cover of Texas Radio and the Big Beat. I would have loved to hear Gordy sing those lyrics. And the hip to play that song. I think it would have been so cool. A couple of other things about this album you should know. Uh, it was released in, released in April of 71. And uh, as I said, that was towards the end of my grade nine year. And uh, it was the last studio album for The Doors. Jim Morrison died three months later, uh, July 3rd of that uh, summer of 1971. So uh, it was remarkable on, on that level, too. Should also point out in 2003, 
L.A. woman was ranked number 362 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And when they revised their top 500 albums of all time uh, in 2012 to accommodate the, um, the albums released between 03 and 12, it dropped two spots, the 364. So anyways, uh, if you haven't uh, listened to The Doors, if you haven't heard the L.A. Woman album, I highly recommend it. I uh, will get off the dope bandwagon here momentarily and uh, quit playing DJ. But before doing so, um, I would like to say it should come as no surprise whatsoever to anybody that Canada would be at the forefront of the, this legal weed movement. I don't know. Have you kids ever heard of Cheech and Chong? I mean, these guys were the original stoners. Their movie, Up in Smoke. Look it up. I mean, the story goes that Cheech Marin and Tommy Chong met on the streets of Vancouver in the late 1960s. Now, Tommy Chong is a Canadian citizen, but Cheech, Cheech Marin was from California. But he was, I believe, in Vancouver in the late 60s because, like a lot of guys at the time, uh, was trying to avoid the uh, the draft for the Vietnam War. And and anyway, Cheech and Chong, stand-up comedy, lots of albums, Grammy Award winners, uh, the Up in Smoke movie, they were the original stoners, and Up in Smoke was the original stoner movie. Now, more recently, if there's been a king of stoner movies now, in current times, it's this guy. <laughs> That, of course, would be Seth Rogen. Um, by the way, this, that, that's the Seth Rogen laugh track on YouTube. Now, that one's only 30 seconds, 31 seconds long. There it goes. It's going. It's going. It's almost gone. Anyways, um, there's, there's one, a Seth Rogen laugh track on YouTube that is literally 10 hours long. It's nothing but 10 hours of Seth Rogen laughing. It's a very identifiable laugh. And Seth is very identifiable for, A, being a guy who's closely associated with stoner movies, talking about dope. And, of course, Seth is a Canadian from Vancouver. And, yes, I'm sensing a pattern here. Anyway, leave it to the Canadian government to take the counter out of counterculture. And, in any case, whatever mind-altering experience you choose this weekend, do it responsibly and, by no means, do not get behind the wheel of a vehicle. I'm going to be doing this weekend what I do most weekends, and that is opening up one bottle of wine to be shared with my lovely wife, Cindy, uh, either Friday night or Saturday night, quite often Saturday, but could, I guess, under the right set of circumstances, could be Friday and Saturday, but in any case, only one bottle at a time. Uh, likely to be an Italian wine because I'm very big on Italian wine, especially after the, the summer vacation there. And uh, I fully admit that I'm, I'm going further and further down that road of becoming an admittedly insufferable wine douche. Now, I've already previously admitted to being an incredible wine glass snob, that I'm not able to fully enjoy a glass of wine unless it's in my very fine Zolto wine glass, of which my colleague Frank Cervelli at TSN remarks, it's just the right amount of douche for you. Well, some might suggest maybe a touch too much. Um, I mentioned in the last episode of the Bobcast that I had a somewhat humorous story to um, kind of illustrate my graduation to being that next-level wine douche. 
in Italy, in Positano to be precise, while we were on vacation this summer, I didn't just send back one bottle of wine. I sent back two. And, I, and, and actually, it was awesome. It was glorious. And I know how it sounds, and I will fully own it, and I'll embrace it, because I do like to make fun of myself. And really, I mean, is there anything douchier than some guy getting a bottle of wine brought to him in a restaurant and sending it back? Probably not. There's not, actually. I know there's not. But let me ask you this. Just, for instance, spitballing here. If you were given a glass of milk at a restaurant, who drinks milk at a restaurant? But in any case, if you were given a glass of milk at a restaurant and it was sour, would you just drink it? Or say, excuse me, this milk is sour. Could I get a fresh glass, please? And if they brought you a second glass of milk and it was sour too, would you drink that? Of course you wouldn't. You'd send it back, just like I did with two bottles of a very nice Poderi Prospero Bulgari Super Tuscan, 60% Cab, 20% Merlot, and 20% Cab Franc. Now, I would suggest that actually knowing the percentages of the blend is probably a lot more douchey than sending back a bad bottle. And, and the thing of it is, the reason I knew it was a bad bottle is because I had this bottle right before I went to Italy. So I knew exactly how it tasted, and it was fantastic. By the way, um, Pideri, Prospero, Bulgari, Super Tuscan, if you happen to get it at the liquor store, in, in the case of Ontario, the LCBO, it runs about 50 bucks. I know it's pricey, but it's really, really, really good. Highly recommend it. So when I showed up at this little cafe restaurant, it, it wasn't what I would call fine dining establishment. It was just an oceanside, seaside restaurant. And um, I saw that this, this wine that I'd had before we left for Italy um, they had it on the menu, reasonably priced. It was like 70 or 80 euros. And I thought, hey, I'm going to get that. So it was a long time coming, and the waiter brought it. It was, it was Actually, he hadn't brought it, and he says, the wine will be out shortly. It was, the bottle was a little warm, so we decided to chill it for you. Well, if you know anything at all about wine, as soon as the waiter says, yeah, the bottle was a little warm, that's like, that's not good. That's not good. So anyways, they finally came with the bottle of wine, and my radar was obviously tripped. And so he poured the little bit. I don't sniff the cork. I'm not that douchey. If, if I ever do start sniffing the cork, shoot me right now. But anyways, the, so I took the sip of it, and it was, it was like vinegar, man. It was, it was terrible. So I told the guy, that's no good. So he poured himself a sip, and he goes, oh, no, I think it's quite good. And I said, no, I think it's quite bad. So he said, we've got another bottle of the same kind. Do you want me to bring you that out? And my wife, the sensible one in the family, Cindy, said to me, why don't you order something different? If that one is no good, then the one that was stored with it is probably no good. So why don't you just order something else? And I said, no, I want that wine. I've got to have that wine. So they brought out the second bottle. And sure enough, same bottle, same vintage. And yes, it too was no good. So I sent that back. Now, I couldn't wait to actually tell the luxury consultant, and if you know who the luxury consultant is, that's my son, Sean, who's turned me on to a lot of really good wine. I could hardly wait to tell him that I was douchey enough to send two bottles of wine back. And when I did, he was absolutely aghast because he had thought I was at this really nice restaurant that we'd made reservations for before we went for the trip to Italy. There's a, a resort in Positano, and I could never afford to stay there. 
It's called Cyrenews. It's where George Clooney and, and the, the rich and famous stay. But there's a fantastic, I think it's a Michelin star restaurant called La Sponda in Cyrenews. And Sean thought that I was at Cyrenews, which is like off the charts, thought that I sent two bottles of wine back at Cyrenews. And he was absolutely mortified that I'd be doing that and not realizing that I was actually at just a seaside cafe that had some wine stored in a really hot area and it had gone bad. So anyways, um, I guess I did scale new levels of douchiness. I felt like a real wine douche. It was awesome. By the way, I finally took Cindy's advice and I ordered an Amarone at that restaurant and it was very nice. So there you have it. Uh, my Bob McKenzie wine douche story. As Frank Cervelli would say, just the right amount of douche. Uh, thanks for the slogan, Frank. Okay, uh, enough on weed, enough on wine. Let's work our way towards, finally, some hockey talk. But before we do and get into the hardcore puck stuff, let's get to a little listener feedback, which highlights the fact we are, now that we're at the end of October, we are on the eve of Movember, the month of the year that has been designated to highlight men's health. And um, before I get to the first letter in listener feedback, I would like to direct all our listeners, men and women, to Movember.com, which is the website of Canada's Movember Foundation. Now, it's an outstanding website. It has a wealth of information on men's health. It addresses mental, emotional, and physical well-being for men of all ages. It's all about preventing prostate cancer, testicular cancer, suicide, and, and promoting good mental health. And for the loyal followers of the Bobcast, go back to season one, they will remember that we've gone all in to highlight the steps men can take for early detection of prostate and testicular cancer. And we are very, very proud of, of those accomplishments and as evidenced by this next listener email. So this letter came on Sunday, September 23rd, and it says, Welcome back is the subject matter. Hi, Bob. Welcome back. Hope you had a restful summer and soaked up the sun at the cottage. One of my highlights from the summer was hearing the John Tavares news break after floating down the Gull River to Kobe, which is Kobaconk, on Canada Day. Canada Day. What a day. I hope Balsam Lake treated you well. I just wanted to let you know this past Friday, September 21st, was my one-year cancer-free anniversary. Thankful every day for the use of your platform and how it has impacted my health. Hope your listeners are keeping all that good stuff top of mind and are healthy and ready to enjoy the hockey season too. Hope to see you around sometime this year. Cheers, Will Joyce. Uh, people will recognize the name uh, if you're a Bobcast listener. Will was listening to the Bobcast a couple of years ago um, when we talked about checking your nuts, uh, specifically for testicular cancer and having some fun with that whole check your nuts thing. But, you know, a fun way to deliver a really serious message. And, and Will's a young guy. And as a result of listening to the Bobcast, he did check his nuts he found a lump. One thing led to another. He was diagnosed with testicular cancer, uh, had a surgery and chemotherapy, and um, has stayed in constant touch with us and given his updates um, and let us know that he is cancer-free and expressed his gratitude to the Bobcast. And uh, we express our gratitude to him for, for keeping this front of mind for absolutely everybody. So uh, that's, a, that's, that's cool to hear from Will. And... Uh, for everybody else, uh, get to that Movember Foundation website. And here's another email in a similar vein. 
This one comes from Austin Mole. Hey, Bob, thanks for dedicating your time to the Bobcast. It is truly insightful and easy to listen to. Don't change a thing. On another note, Movember is just around the corner, and I know you're an avid supporter of the cause, so thank you for that. I'm Austin, a nursing student from Kitchener, Ontario. We have met before, but you may not remember. I see you every now and then when you come to watch the Kitchener Rangers hockey games. I stand outside the sweet parking lot at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium every home game, and that seems to be the lot you park in. I'm also the guy on your Wikipedia page that you're posing with. Thanks for being so kind as to take a picture with me. Anyway, I've been raising money for November for a while. This will be my fourth year doing it. My uncle has prostate cancer, and I have been raising money ever since. His name is Dave, and he's a Rangers season ticket holder. Last year, I raised my highest amount yet, just shy of $1,000, which I'm very proud of. I would love to try and double that this year, and I'd like your help. Do you mind sharing my Movember page via Twitter or whatever social media you like, or just with friends and family? Maybe donate as well. It's up to you. If you don't want to do so, I completely understand, and I'd like to thank you for reading this email anyway. Thank you so much for all you do in raising awareness for Movember. So many people's lives have changed thanks to your willingness to devote some of your time and media to telling us to check our nuts. Never stop fighting for what you believe in. Austin Mole, Kitchener, Ontario. Also, here's a link to my page. So first off, let's uh, throw this out there if anybody wants to go to Austin's uh, Movember page where you can sponsor him for fundraising for Movember. You go to mobro.co, that's M-O-B-R-O dot C-O backslash Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, Mole, M-O-L-E, question mark, M-C equal sign, one three. That's mobro.co backslash Austin Mole, question mark, MC equal sign one three, and you can help Austin out, and I'll get on that myself, and uh, by all means make a dedication and uh, a donation um, to uh, Austin's fundraising ability. Um, and because on the Bobcast we have um, many female listeners as well, and we get lots of uh, emails from them, I should point out that while November is Movember, and a big month for men's health initiatives. Uh, October, which is just wrapping up, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, as I said, lots of female listeners. And it's equally important that uh, everybody goes to the Canadian Cancer Society page, website page. Just Google Canadian Cancer Society Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And you'll find tabs there that will allow you to, number one, get involved in, in the Canadian Cancer's Society's cause on Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Number two for women, the uh, hit the tab to get information on getting screened because, like every form of cancer, early detection is the absolutely the key. And number three, there's a tab there to click on if if you do have breast cancer to get the support you need to help you deal with it. So I urge everybody to to get involved. Uh, either in the Movember or the Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So just to review, young men, check your nuts, older men. Don't die of embarrassment. Go to the doctor, get a prostate exam. If you need a colonoscopy, go get one. It's no big deal. Trust me, I've had multiples. No big deal. Um, I want the men out there that are listening to tell the women in their lives 
to go to the Breast Cancer Awareness Month page on the Canadian Cancer Society and make sure that they take care of their, their selves. And the flip side, of course, is I want to tell all the women there to also go to the Canadian Cancer Society's page, get all the information they need on Breast Cancer Awareness Month to get screened, and also to urge their men to go to the Movember page, the Movember Foundation, and make sure everybody takes care of everybody. It's really important. It is a matter of life and death. Lots of great questions coming up on this episode of the Bobcast, the obligatory William Nylander questions, uh, something on the Tom Wilson suspension and appeal, a really interesting one on somebody uh, asking me who I think is the best defenseman of Morgan Riley, Hampus Lindholm, and Jacob Truba, who were all top 10 picks in the 2012 draft, and of course, Never really knowing the answer to that myself. I farmed it out to a whole bunch of people, so I got some interesting results on that, as well as a little bit of an update uh, as a result of a question on Clark MacArthur. So stick around for all that. But first, before we get into the question and answer segment, I want to welcome our new sponsor to the show, Untuck It. Uh, It is really nice to get a sponsor for the podcast that um, you can use their product or really get behind. And for me... Untuck It is one of those. Now, I'm familiar with the Untuck It shirt and have been for quite some time because they have been a rather long-time sponsor um, on the Howard Stern Show, and I listen to a lot of Howard Stern. And so my motto is, if Untuck It is good enough for Baba Bui, Fafa Fuhe, Tata Tuthe, then it's good enough for me and all Bobcast listeners. And in fact, um, I've already been to the flagship uh, Untuck It store in Manhattan And now Canadians in Toronto, in Etobicoke specifically, um, can go to the the first Canadian retail store for Untuck at their flagship store here in Canada at the Sherway Gardens Mall. So it's very cool. And it's a great concept when you think about it. I mean, the the, the tuck is is long gone. Uh, The problem with tucking in a shirt is that, A, for most guys, it doesn't look any good. Um, You know, some guys go with the high tuck. That's that's really bad, and if if you if you want a really good reference of of how bad the high tuck looks, go back to the old Saturday Night Live when Bill Murray was on it and they did the nerd uh, the nerd skit and uh, he was Todd, I think it was Dila Muka, Todd Dila Muka, who was hanging out with Gilda Radner and Mrs. Loopner. Anyway, that's a bad example of the high tuck. Um, nothing worse than a low tuck goes without saying. And um, the problem is when you don't tuck your shirt in, um, it could end up down at your knees. That's how long some of these shirts are now, and it just looks terrible. And uh, these geniuses at Untuck It have figured out just the right length shirt. And, uh, no, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I feel like on the occasion of this first uh, arrival of Untuck It as a sponsor on the Bobcast, that maybe we should, I don't know, get creative here, help them out. Maybe you need a slogan or a jingle or a song. So maybe this works. There once was a man from Nantucket whose shirt, I said his shirt, was so long he could suck it. He woke up one day and he said, F*** it. I need to get myself an Untucket. I think that's genius. Works for me. I've always, confession time, I've always wanted to start my own ad agency. I think I could be really creative. I've got the name of my ad agency. I'm going to call it Madman. I think that works. 
Anyways, um, the things you do need to know, with more than 50 sizing options, every guy can find the perfect shirt at Untucket. And if you go to untucket.com, you can check out all the new fall arrivals. This is very important. Use the promo code BOBCAST for 20% off your purchase. And as I said before, you can visit Untucket at their brand new First Canadian retail store in Sherway Gardens, or you can shop online anywhere. So that's untucket.com. Use promo code BOBCAST, B-O-B-C-A-S-T, and save yourself 20% and get a hell of a shirt. First up isn't so much a question as is an observation or a comment. It comes from friend of the show, Jerry Robichaud, in uh, Cochrane, Ontario. Uh, Subject matter last week, last episode. Bob, I would like to apologize for my comment last week regarding that there were too many Leaf stories and not enough on all the other teams in the NHL. A friend of mine, incidentally a Leaf fan, pointed out to me that TSN means Toronto Sports Network, me bad. I think Jerry's being a little facetious. Not a little facetious, a lot facetious. And, he, and I'm sure that's just a typo. We said me bad. He probably means my bad. TSN, Toronto Sports Network. I've never heard that one before. Good one, Jerry. Good one. Anyway, Jerry, in honor of uh, being the Toronto Sports Network, um, we're going to get right to the William Nylander questions. This is all for you. First one comes from Sean Banks. Hey, Bob, Big Leaf fan here, wondering if you could answer a question for me. What exactly would stop the Toronto Maple Leafs from front-loading a contract for Nylander for the first year of a long-term contract at $11-plus million and then dropping down to what they want, $6.6 million after year one, to even out over a five-plus year contract? Same amount of money, but giving him the cash he wants now without destroying their plans for future contracts, etc. Matthews and Marner. I doubt you'll get this, uh, but worth a shot getting an answer. Thank you. Sincerely, big fan, Sean Banks. Well, first off, Sean, it it doesn't matter if you've got a six-year deal. It doesn't matter how the money's broken down. It doesn't matter how much you allocate for the first year or the last year or the years in between. The AAV or the cap hit is the average annual value. But that said, I do get a lot of questions from Leaf fans saying, what would stop the Leafs from doing the following? Signing William Nylander right now to a one-year contract for, say, $11 million. And then slipping into a desk drawer an agreed-to contract for another six-year deal at $6.5 million that starts next season. And you don't pull that one out of the drawer until after January 1st when you're technically eligible to do an extension after signing a guy to a one-year contract. So just to review, if you were looking at it, that'd be one year at $11 million, six years at $6.5 million. That would be a total of $50 million over the next seven years would give Nylander a shade over $7 million um, on the, in his pocket on average for the next seven years. But the cap hit, in the years when the Leafs need the cap hit to be a reasonable number, i.e. $6.5 million starting next season, would be reasonable. Well, a couple of things on that. Number one, the National Hockey League, they're not a bunch of rubes. Bill Daly's a pretty smart guy. And I think, you know, if, you, if, it, if it walks and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And I think he would be able to see through fairly quickly 
somebody getting an exorbitant number out of left field, like $11 million for William Nylander on a one-year deal. That's going to raise a lot of suspicions. So if the Leafs and Kyle Dubas were foolish enough to actually put down on paper what the next contract would look like, the National Hockey League would ultimately be able to find that. They would punish everybody. And so nobody's going to do that. So the, the, the next step, and I can already hear Leaf fans saying this, well, fine, just do it verbally. Don't tell anybody. Don't, no paper trail. Give him the $11 million this year and just have an understanding that he's got a six times 6.5 waiting for him uh, as soon as it can legally be announced in January. Well, that's all well and good, but it's not guaranteed. It's a verbal commitment. And as we like to say, verbal commitments are not worth the paper they're not printed on. And what if he gets injured badly? Um, What if the Leafs have some other thing where they decide, you know what, we do need to trade William Nylander. What if somebody just changes their mind? What if Nylander changes his mind? I'm not signing 6.5, I want more. So things can go out the window in a hurry. So I understand the concept and, and Leaf fans think that's a way they could get around this. But the other bottom line here is that the Leafs don't think William Nylander's worth that much. Not saying they don't think he's a good player, not saying they don't value him. But the issue here is, if you're going to do it for Nylander, go to those extraordinary measures. What are you going to do for Matthews? What are you going to do for Marner? And it's really just about the Leafs and, and Nylander need to agree on what his value is. And that brings us to our next question. From Phil Harmer. Hi, Bob. I was thinking about this Nylander contract problem. Why not offer him a 6.5 or a $6 million contract for three years? First, they get to sign him at the price they want. Less years win. Second, Nylander gets to prove that he's worth more. And if he proved to be so, he'll get more. Price of $8 million per season, maybe, uh, because the salary cap will have gone up. Matthews and Marner would have signed by this time, obviously, and hence Nealer's contract increase. If it's not that big a deal, then it is today. Uh, both sides are looking towards their own future, no surprise. Here's what I think is a reasonable compromise, a three-year deal worth between 6 and $6.5 million. Further, William has not proved to me as a longtime Leaf fan um, beyond that. So prove to me that you're an $8 million season of player, and we'll pay you. Um, okay, here's the thing. William Nylander would take a three-year deal at 6 to $6.5 million in a heartbeat. Um, the Leafs wouldn't. The Leafs believe that William Nylander's value on a long-term deal at six years is between 6 to $6.7 million. Talked about it before. Nick Ehlers at the bottom end. David Pasternak of the Boston Bruins at the 6.67 mark. That's what the Leafs think William Nylander's worth on a six-year contract. They're not going to give him a three-year contract, give him salary arbitration rights and, and all of that to come back at them um, and, and go from there. So that, it's as simple as that. Uh, in order for the Leafs to get a two- or a three-year bridge contract, that makes sense. It needs to be a number considerably less than 6 to 6.5, down around the $5 million mark, give or take a couple of hundred thousand. And, um, and that's the problem. So uh, we'll see where the Nylander thing goes. I'm sick of talking about it. Everybody's sick of hearing about it. But nevertheless, uh, it's all Leaf fans are talking about. And uh, hopefully it'll get done soon. And uh, if not, so be it. Next question comes from John Lamb. His subject says, compensating an opposing team for a suspension, and this is Tom Wilson related. Hi, Bob. Thank you for all the hard work that you do and the hours of endless entertainment 
that you provide with hockey news and opinions. My question is in regards to player in-game suspensions and how it helps or doesn't help the opposing team. For example, Tom Wilson gets suspended 20 games for his hit for on Oscar Sundquist from the St. Louis Blues in a preseason game. The Washington Capitals lose Wilson for 20 games. The St. Louis Blues lose Sundquist for a period of time due to injury. By the way, his Sundquist is just now being cleared to come back. Has the NHL ever considered compensating slash awarding the opposing team, in this case the Blues, an advantage over the Capitals the next time they play? I'm not sure how it would work, but maybe the suspended player does not get to suit up for a game against the opposing team in their next matchup. Or the team has to dress one less player for their next game against that specific opponent. It just seems that when the Caps lose Wilson for 20 games, the Blues lose a player, but the Blues don't get rewarded with anything except maybe an in-game penalty from that game. Your thoughts? You know, John, there's been a lot of talk over the years about trying to get creative with suspensions, and and I think your underlying point is 100% accurate. And in fact, I go a step further. And that is sometimes you see examples where one player on one team injures another player on another team and that player getting suspended actually hurts the team that has the player who was injured. In other words, you're in a playoff race and your player just got injured and now the guy who injured you, his team is playing your arch rival and the team you're competing for in a playoff spot. And the suspension means that it's more likely that your chief rival gets an easier game against the Washington Capitals, for example. So I actually like the, the underlying thought of what you're talking about, but it becomes difficult to enforce what happens if the player, gets, the, the player who was suspended gets traded and, and there's all sorts of things there. But yeah, I, I could see where it would be a fair assessment to say we're giving uh, Wilson an 18-game National Hockey League regular season suspension, but he's also going to miss the next two games he plays against the St. Louis Blues in whatever uniform he happens to be playing. But again, it, it creates problems. What if a player is near the end of his career now uh, and he does never get those games against the St. Louis Blues? Um, does he get a free pass on, on those two games he otherwise would have served? So there's lots of ins and outs of it, but um, I do like the idea of specifically tailoring that you can't play against the team that you committed the infraction for X number of games, or you can't play against the player that you committed the infraction. It's like a restraining order. <laughs> um, so Oscar Sundquist uh, did not get done right by Tom Wilson, so if it should ever happen that Oscar Sundquist is playing in a game, Tom Wilson can't play in that game. Sure, why not? Um, anyways, uh, creative discipline, um, but I don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon in the National Hockey League. I really love this next question. It comes from Isaiah Armstrong from Winkler, Manitoba. Hey, Bob, love the Bobcast. My question, as an unbiased, don't roll your eyes, Canadian hockey fan, is which defenseman from the top 10 of the 2012 NHL draft, would you pick if you could choose just one of Morgan Riley, who went fifth overall, Hampus Lindholm, who went sixth overall, or Jacob Truba, who went ninth overall, as your team's number one defenseman? For obvious reasons, I left out the 10th pick, Slater Cuckoo, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
would be curious to hear your thoughts on the Bobcast. Thanks for taking the time to read this. Isaiah A. from Winkler, Manitoba. Great question. Um, And I started going through it in my own mind. And I'm like, well, you know what? Riley put up 50 points last year. He's really coming into his own. But I've I've watched the Ducks play. And boy, Hampus Lindholm is one of the NHL's best-kept secrets. He moves the puck so well. He's got offensive ability, but he can play against top players on the other team. And and while the Jets are off to a little bit of an uneven start this season, I've really been impressed the last week or two with the way Jacob Truba's playing. And overall, I mean, his entire career, he brings a different element to the dance. He's bigger, more physical. He's got some edge, but he can really skate. And uh, so I'm with the game-winning goal in overtime against the St. Louis Blues earlier this week. And um, so, yeah, it's a great question. And I, I was kind of inclined to flip a coin between Riley and, and, and Lindholm, and I was kind of struggling with it. Um, and I decided, oh, you know what, time for a flash poll. So what I did was I quickly texted a number of NHL general managers, a number of NHL head coaches, a number of NHL assistant GMs, Um, some people, some ex-NHL GMs, ex-NHL coaches. And I think I threw out about 20, 20 20-odd texts and basically asked them the question of of Riley and Lindholm and Truba, which one do you think is the best? Which one would you want for your number one defenseman on your team? And I was a little surprised at how overwhelming it was in favor of Morgan Riley. And I know... um, People are going to roll their eyes, and Jerry Robichaud and Cochran are going to say it's the Toronto Sports Network. But I actually went with a, a heavier emphasis on Western Conference guys because two of the three defensemen in, in question here, Truba and Lindholm, play in the West. So I thought, just to be on the safe side, I want to counteract the, the, the Toronto omnipresence I uh, I decided to stack it a little bit in favor of guys who see defensemen in the West more than the East. And I can tell you that I ended up with, uh, of the 20 or so that I sent out, I ended up with 15, 15 no, 14 responses. And it was nine for Morgan Riley and five for Hampus Lindholm and none for Jacob Truba. And one of the people I texted sent me a text back that said he would actually throw Matt Dumba into that mix. And uh, the person who said we should throw Matt Dumba into that mix, by the way, had Hampus Lindholm at number one. Um, That was an interesting draft year, by the way. Um, If you go back to the 2012 draft, the Columbus Blue Jackets, in terms of defensemen drafted, um, in the top 10, Columbus Blue Jackets took Ryan Murray at number two. The New York Islanders took Griffin Reinhardt at number four, um, to which one of the respondents uh, to my little text poll on these other three, Riley, Lindholm, and Truba, was, how about Columbus and New York Islanders? Do you think they'd want to do over on that one? Ouch. Because Riley, Lindholm, and Truba have been great NHL defensemen, Griffin Reinhardt has not been able to establish himself as a full-time NHL defenseman. And Ryan Murray, oft injured with the Columbus Blue Jackets, is an NHL defenseman, but not at the level of a Riley, a Lindholm, or a Truba, or for that matter, a Matt Dumba. 
Um, just to round out that top 10, so Ryan Murray at two to Columbus, Griffin Reinhardt at number four to uh, the Islanders. Um, of course, uh, not that Oiler fans want to hear about it, but the trade that involved the Edmonton first-round pick that became Matthew Barzell. So the Islanders did all right with the Griffin Reinhardt pick if you say that uh, they have Matt Barzell in the lineup because of it. Riley at five to Toronto, Lindholm at six to the Ducks, Matt Dumba at seven to the Minnesota Wild, Derek Pouliot, now of the Vancouver Canucks, but then number eight going to the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Truba at number nine to the Jets and Slater Cuckoo at number 10. should point out that uh, Cody Ceci went 15th overall to the Ottawa Senators in that draft. Olimata went 22nd overall to the Pittsburgh Penguins and Brady Shea went 28th overall to the New York Rangers. Um, one of the better defensemen in that draft that didn't go in the first round was number 78 overall, the Ghost. Shane Gostisbehere went to the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. And 86th overall, the St. Louis Blues got Colton Pareko. So an interesting uh, defenseman draft. Um, but at the end of the day here, um, the people have spoken in the, uh, the Bobcast text message flash poll of Riley Lindholm and Truba, which one would you want as your number one? Morgan Riley wins by a considerable margin. This is another really cool question that I like a lot because in doing my research for answering the question, I liked the answer. This comes from Joshua Marshall. Hello, Bob. I'm a huge fan of the Bobcast. I was wondering if you knew how Clark MacArthur was doing. Last year when training camp opened up, there was talk he failed his physical. And from my knowledge that there hasn't been any news on him this season so far. Two years ago when he did come back, he looked great in the sense playoff run. And now he's going on two years of no NHL hockey. I'm a huge fan of his, but it seems to be pretty quiet when it comes to him these days. I hope he's doing well. I remember when he played for the Leafs. Him and Derek Ryan, who's with the Flames, played on a ball hockey team in Edmonton called the Penguins. Both of them were really nice and easygoing guys. Anyway, thanks for taking the question and keep up the great work. Joshua Marshall in Caroline, Alberta. Uh, yeah, on the, um, on the Clark MacArthur front, uh, as Joshua points out, um, we last saw Clark play games in the playoffs a couple of years ago, and that was the Senators' great run where they came within a hair of going to the Stanley Cup final. And one of the really great stories from that playoff run was the, uh, the return of Clark MacArthur to active duty after missing so much time with concussions. And, um, and then over the course of the summer and leading up to the following season, which was the beginning of last season, uh, it became apparent that Clark MacArthur did not pass um, the tests required for the concussion protocol and um, was, was not able to play and has not been able to play and will not be playing anytime soon. There's never been an official retirement announcement um, because Clark MacArthur's not retired. He's medically not able to, um, to play hockey right now, so he continues to uh, collect uh, on his contract and um, with insurance money and what have you. Um, he's currently living in Florida. Now, here's the part of the story that I like. Um, by all accounts, Clark is doing really well. Uh, he's feeling good, spending time with his family in Florida, um, he actually golfs a lot and, uh, and in fact, has been known to be getting some golf games 
with Michael Jordan, who apparently uh, is in the area as well, where he lives in Florida. Uh, a lot of Clark's teammates have spent time um, dropping by and visiting him in Florida and staying in touch with him, which is great because of um, of all the players I've covered in the National Hockey League, Clark MacArthur is one of the one of the truly genuinely good guys that everybody really loved and respected. And um, got to meet his dad when I was doing an event in Lloydminster one time, so you could see where Clark gets it from. Comes from a great family. And uh, it's just great to hear that he's doing well, his family's doing well, and, of course, um, he's just going to be chilling and golfing with uh, Michael Jordan, and uh, many of his friends uh, and teammates are going to continue to visit him over the course of of this season. So thanks Joshua for the question and uh, great to hear that Clark MacArthur is doing well. We're off to Fayetteville, Arkansas for our next question. Subject matter, Eli Tolvanen. Hey Bob, love the Bobcast and excited for its return. With Eli Tolvanen's assignment from the Nashville Predators to Milwaukee in the American League, do you think we'll see him back in Nashville soon or is this a more long-term development timeline? Additionally, can you provide some insight on the European 10-game clause in his contract? Thanks, Andrew, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, Great question, Andrew, and should point out, uh, Eli Tolvanen, first-round pick, 30th overall of the Nashville Predators a couple of years ago, uh, star in the Olympics last year for Finland, starred at the World Junior Championship for Finland last year, uh, came and, and joined the Preds, at the tail end of last season in the playoffs, um, was not a factor in playoff hockey for the Preds. And fairly early in training camp, uh, the Preds decided that they thought he needed to uh, go to Milwaukee and learn the North American pro game in the American League. And obviously disappointing for him because I'm sure he thinks if he weren't playing for a team like the Nashville Predators, which is pretty deep across the board, legit Stanley Cup contender, that like a lot of 18- and 19-year-olds in the National Hockey League, he'd be getting a better opportunity somewhere else to do what he does best, which is score goals and make plays. Uh, But the reality is he is a Nashville Predator, and they don't have room for him on the roster right now, and they don't think his game is where it needs to be to play as a full-timer in the National Hockey League. And so they, when they sent him down, I don't think they put any timeline on it. But as Andrew and Fayetteville correctly points out, there's a unique clause in the contract of uh, Eli Tolvanen, and that is that once he's played 10 games in the American Hockey League this season, he has the ability to reassign himself to Jokerit in the KHL, where he played last season and where he could earn considerably more money than he's making in the American Hockey League or even the National Hockey League, for that matter, because he's on an entry-level contract. Now, should point out that, um, uh, let's see, in, in eight games played in the American League so far, uh, Tolvanen has one goal and five points. Now, his ninth game in the AHL is tonight, Friday, October 26th, against Cleveland. And his tenth game in the American Hockey League is Saturday, October 27th, against the Manitoba Moose. Um, so, by all accounts, he's doing... F- doing fine, doing well in the American Hockey League. He's not putting up huge numbers, the one goal in eight games. But, you know, five points in in eight games is nothing to sneeze at. In the American Hockey League, which is a tough league to score in, uh, quite frankly, sometimes uh, 
I've heard lots of people say that it's uh, easier to to get goals and put up points in the NHL than it is in the American League where they play a, an even tighter brand of, of defense. In any case, um, the good news, I guess, if you want to call it that, is that at this particular time, there's no reason to believe that once Saturday night comes by and Tolvanen gets his 10th game in the books, he's going to pack up his bag and head to Jokerit in the KHL. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, um, if he did, he would not be able to come back uh, and play in the National Hockey League this season. Um, number two, I think he wants to just let things play out for a while and seems to be happy, content with how things are progressing right now. Um, whether that's the case a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, who knows? Um, maybe he plays well enough that Nashville brings him up into the lineup and gives him some primetime opportunity to do what other 18- and 19-year-olds are doing throughout the National Hockey League. Maybe he doesn't. But in any case, at this moment in time, there's no reason to believe that Tolvin is going to pack up after Saturday night's game and head back to the KHL. So that's good news for Nashville for now, but uh, this will be something that we check in on from time to time. Now we jet off east to Newfoundland, as a matter of fact, as far east as you can go in Canada. This question from David Dyson. Mr. McKenzie. Who was the Swedish junior hockey player who threw a silver medal into the stands after the gold medal game loss with Canada last year? And is he currently in the NHL now? Okay, uh, David, the short answer to your question is no, he's not in the NHL now. And his name is Leah Anderson. And uh, Leah Anderson was drafted in the first round by the New York Rangers of the 2017 draft, seventh overall to the Rangers. And um, he's played nine games in the American Hockey League and appears to be doing quite well. Uh, three goals, eight points in nine games. Of those three goals, one of them shorthanded. And in fact, those three goals have been scored in his last six games. So he's actually put up some nice numbers here for the Hartford Wolfpack in the American Hockey League. Now, a lot of Ranger fans were disappointed that Anderson did not make the rebuilding Rangers right out of training camp. And in and in, in today's NHL, and, it, and it's tough for these 18 and 19 and 20-year-old kids, if you, if you don't make an instant impact, um, a lot of people are ready too quick to write you off. And I guess a lot of Ranger fans are looking at who was still on the board at 7th overall that the Rangers chose not to take instead of Leah Anderson. So let's have a, a look at that for a minute. Casey Middlestat, um, you know, he's off to a really slow start with the Buffalo Sabres, but he could still be a prolific offensive player. Michael Rasmussen is currently playing for the Detroit Red Wings. Owen Tippett by the Florida Panthers at 10. He's back in junior hockey. Gabe Velarde oft injured, number 11 overall to Los Angeles. Martin Nikash recently sent down uh, by the Carolina Hurricanes to the American Hockey League. Nick Suzuki tearing it up in the OHL. Vegas took him 13th overall. You could go through the rest of this list. I mean, Yusuf Alamaki, 16th overall defenseman who's playing for Calgary. Uh, Urho Vakaninen, who's played a couple of games for the Boston Bruins before getting concussed recently. Robert Thomas playing fourth-line minutes for the St. Louis Blues. Um, the Rangers, of course, took uh, Philip Heatle, uh 21st overall in that draft. He's currently on the, uh, the Ranger roster. Uh, Morgan Frost, who's putting up big numbers in Sault Ste. Marie, 27th overall to Philadelphia. Henry Yokoharju, who's playing 20-plus minutes a night right now in the Chicago 
Blackhawk Blue Line and Eli Tolvin, who we mentioned um, a question or two ago for the Nashville Predators, went 30th overall. So, yeah, you can always play that game of, of who the Rangers should have taken instead of Leah Sanderson, but let's not be so quick to, um, to, to rain on the Ranger parade when it comes to, to Anderson. I've always viewed Anderson as a real glue guy. I think he's the kind of guy that you win with. And I think he might ultimately end up being a third-line player in the National Hockey League, but real, a really high-end third-line player who wins big face-offs, who kills penalties, who, who gives you the, the, the glue that holds together a championship team. And um, he, of course, became infamous for chucking his silver medal into the, uh, the stands uh, at the World Junior Championship. Everybody went batshit crazy about that. And I understand it was wrong. It, that's not, a, not good sportsmanship. Um, but you know what? He's a competitive kid, and um, I think he's going to be just fine. So let's let Leas uh, develop. Uh, maybe he'll get his chance with the Rangers sooner rather than later. If he keeps putting those numbers up in the American Hockey League, I wouldn't be surprised if he does get the call up. But uh, um, long way to go before we uh, uh, close the book on that uh, 2017 draft. And in fact, a lot of these guys haven't even gotten to the NHL yet. Uh, so a lot to be written there. But uh, there's the answer to David's question as to who is that Swedish junior hockey player and is he currently in the NHL? Here's what I would call a change of pace question. Uh, Hey, Bob, huge fan. How do you like your coffee? That's from Drew from Montreal. Well, Drew, um, I don't like coffee. I've never drank a full cup of coffee in my life. I do not like the taste of it at all. I love the smell of coffee. I like coffee crisp chocolate bars. I like coffee ice cream. Um, I go to Starbucks and I'll eat those chocolate covered espresso beans like it's my job, but I'm not, I I just can't stomach coffee. I'm a tea drinker, actually, Uh, very civilized in the McKenzie household growing up. uh, No day was complete without starting it with a cup of tea. And, uh, that's what I drink. So there you go. Tea with milk. That's it. Not very exciting, but say la vie. The final question in this episode of the Bobcast comes from Sharon McAlpine. And I want to thank Sharon for asking this question because it uh, saved me the trouble of having to go to a shameless plug, shameless self-promotion and plugging my new book. So the subject of Sharon's email says, Everyday Hockey Heroes. Hi there. Wishing you the best of luck with your new book coming up in a week or so. Question, are you doing a reading of it so that it will be available on audiobooks? If so, and I hope so, which platform? iBooks, audible.com. Love the Bobcast and your work at TSN. You are a Canadian icon and your humble nature is what makes you a Canadian icon and not just a broadcasting icon. Well, first off, Sharon, thank you very much for the kind words. Um, I don't think of myself as iconic as much as idiotic most of the time. But in any case, uh, thank you. And thank you for bringing up the fact that the book Everyday Hockey Heroes, Inspiring Stories on and Off the Ice, um, is being released on Tuesday, October 30th, and just a few days. And I'm very excited about it and looking very forward to it. Um, And in fact, next week, so next Friday, a week today, what day is that? So, uh, yeah, November 2nd, I'm going to Calgary for some book signing and promotion. On the Saturday, November 3rd, 
I'm going to be in Red Deer and Edmonton. And if you'd like to check out um, what the uh, promotional and book signing tour schedule looks like, you can go to everydayhockeyheroes.ca. That's everydayhockeyheroes.ca. And click on the tab there for um, events and uh, see if I'm coming somewhere near you. And if you are, by all means, come on out and say hi. Be happy to sign a book or whatever. Um, Chat. um, Sign other books that I've written. Uh, Hockey Dad, True Confessions of a Crazy Hockey Parent. um, And Hockey Confidential, uh, the other two books that I've written. Now, for those who know me, they would be very surprised to hear that my name is on a new book, uh, Everyday Hockey Heroes. And I share that billing with uh, my good friend Jim Lang, um, who I will confess in short order here, did most of the work on this book. But in any case, people will be really surprised because I always said, after Hockey Confidential, an exercise that almost killed me, um, and I say that with a, a, a little bit of literalness to it, because I did have a one-off episode of atrial fibrillation while cramming to try and get that book finished. Um, I said I'd never write another book. And I I guess, true to form, I haven't written a book so much as I've become involved in this one. Let me explain. Um, Everyday Hockey Heroes is is a bunch of first-person stories. And um, I wrote the introduction, and it's a long introduction, um, talking about the book and its contents, and uh, I can tell you up front, it's dedicated to both Jonathan Petra, uh, the butterfly child, um, and uh, the humble Broncos, and, and how Jonathan Petra and the humble Broncos, for me, will forever be linked um, in, uh, in being everyday hockey heroes. And uh, I won't go into too much more detail on that. I'll let you read the, the introduction of the book. Um, to to figure all that stuff out. I also wrote the final chapter of the book, a rather lengthy one at that, on a gentleman by the name of Kevin Brown, who's become a very good friend of mine and who, for me, really epitomizes what Everyday Hockey Heroes is all about. And Kevin was a linesman and officiating a junior C game in Woodstock, Ontario, when he suffered a catastrophic injury while trying to break up a fight and has had his life irrevocably changed. And it's, it's really the story of that happening to him, but not so much that just happening to him, but how he responded to it and, and how he lives his best life every day. And, and I see him very much as an everyday hockey hero. It, it's a really fascinating book, and I'm really excited by it, even though, as I said, I only wrote two of 15 or 16 chapters in, in the book. And um, when Simon & Schuster came to me originally, as I said, I... I had no interest in writing another book. I'm just too busy for that. But they'd already started to do some groundwork on a series of first-person stories of famous and not-so-famous people who, um, who are living their best lives in hockey, in, in a love affair with hockey, um, but overcoming it, oftentimes overcoming adversity and oftentimes giving back to their community not just the hockey community, but their community at large. Um, and also, I think there's a, a strong message here about inclusion and that hockey's always been a historically homogenized sport um, dominated by people who look and sound like me, that is to say, elderly white men 
um, oftentimes with white hair. And I, I think if, if the game of hockey is going to grow, um, it needs to be a lot more inclusive. And we need to see a lot of different colors in the game. And we see, need to see a lot of different cultures in the game. And so I, th- I think there's a, a strong message of inclusion that goes along with this, um, this book, um, Everyday Hockey Heroes. So that's why I chose to become involved in it. Now, I should give a quick shout out to the people who did a lot more work on this book than I did. Um, start with Jim Lang. Uh, Jim Lang used to be a broadcaster at uh, Rogers. Now he does radio in the Tor- greater Toronto area. And, and Jim's written a number of books and done a great job with it. And, and Jim is the guy who interviewed a lot of these people, transcribed all these interviews, and put together their stories, um, and then passed it along to an editor by the name of Sarah St. Pierre at Simon & Schuster. Uh, Jim and Sarah are absolute rock stars. Uh, Sarah is one of the most incredible editors. that I, She's the most incredible editor that I've ever worked with. And... Um, she, she and Jim did an amazing job of, of telling these inspiring stories from famous and not-so-famous people, all set against the backdrop of hockey, but all weaving in those themes of adversity, um, giving back to the community, and inclusion and inclusiveness. Um, I was able to... So, so let, let's look at some of these, the, these people. I mean, you've probably never heard of Pat Klein before, but Pat Klein um, is, is in, in the Maritimes, in, in Nova Scotia, writing about his father who passed away, a firefighter, and, and how they've honoured his legacy and his love for hockey um, in Halifax. Kevin Monkman, um, who, a Métis from, the, from Manitoba, um, who's, who's been a champion coach and, and at the forefront of... of trying to promote and develop um, Aboriginal hockey in Manitoba. Uh, Brock McGillis, um, who's an ambassador now and talking to junior hockey teams all across the country to make sure that if, there's, if there are any uh, gay hockey players that they, they don't feel like he did when, when he had to hide the fact that he was gay and that so much of the language used in hockey culture is homophobic and and how you can get on the right side of that. Um, uh, Wayne, Wayne St. Saint Dennis, um, and, and how his, when he was diagnosed as a, in his teens and, and with, with blindness and just came out of the blue, he, he went completely blind, um, and how he really found himself with the, the, the Ice Owls, the blind hockey team, um, that competes out of Toronto and, and how, how much he's given back to that whole movement. Um, on and on it goes. Wayne Simmons, um, we talked about the Philadelphia Flyer and not having enough money to play AAA hockey growing up and how he overcame that and has managed to give back to a lot of the kids in his community that are in the same boat now that he was in once upon a time. One of my favorite chapters in the book, Karina Potvin, a woman in Ottawa, you, you've never heard of her, but it's amazing. The, 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 these kids come from Syria, Syrian refugees. And, and Karina and her friends go to great lengths and expense to see if these kids want to be involved in, in playing house league hockey in the Ottawa area, be exposed to the game of hockey and, and the passion and love 
they have for it. So on and on it goes. And um, I, I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy the book. And um, I was able to, you know, add in some, talk to some of the people that, whose stories that I wanted to be told in the book. Craig Cunningham, I'm sure you know his story. Cardiac arrest in an American Hockey League game. Lost his leg and lost his professional hockey career, but now has a foundation and, and has an unbelievable spirit and, and joie de vivre um, as, as he continues on. Um, Hillary Knight was kind enough um, to take time out from her busy schedule, the American hockey hero, but to, to talk at length and tell her story of, of how the U.S. women's national hockey team took a stand on the eve of the world championships, basically went on, threatened to go on strike if they didn't get better working conditions and better benefits from USA Hockey, and then a year later ultimately won the gold medal at the, uh, at the Olympics. And it's a fascinating story. Ben Finelli, um, a kid I've known well for a while now who suffered a catastrophic head injury playing for the Kitchener Rangers, but managed to not only come back from that and play again, but to start his own foundation to empower so many people um, who have suffered head injuries and the like. And uh, as I said, uh, you could go on forever here, but there's so many good stories about these people telling their stories. And, and Jim Lang and Sarah St. Pierre did an amazing job of, of bringing out these stories in, in, in living color. And uh, I just love it. So um, I'm really looking forward to the release of this book and, and all the promotion and all that goes with it. Anyway, maybe I'll show up in a city or a town near you in the next month or two as I hit the road and start to promote Everyday Hockey Heroes. That would be great to see you. If you can't make it out uh, from not in your town, uh, no problem. Uh, check out everydayhockeyheroes.ca and uh, you can get all the information there about the book. Maybe it'll make a great Christmas present for somebody. Uh, and back to Sharon McAlpine's original question. She did ask, are you doing a reading of it? So that it will be available on audiobooks. And I believe the answer to that question is no, I'm not. Because I haven't done a reading for it. I don't anticipate that I'm going to unless the publisher comes and tells me to do it. But right now I don't believe there are, are any audiobooks uh, in the offing for everyday hockey heroes. Uh, so thanks to Sharon for the, the letter, uh, the email. Thanks to everybody um, for participating in this episode of the Bobcast. Uh, thanks in advance for all the intolerable plugs that I'm going to be doing for everyday hockey heroes. And as you head off for the weekend to do whatever it is you're going to do, um, whether it be on a glass of wine or a bottle of booze or a uh, legal amount of cannabis, uh, do so responsibly, have fun, take care, and uh, here's a little fun for you on the way out. Hey, you want to get high, man? This howdy duty got wooden balls, man. I got a joint here, man. I've been saving for a special occasion. Play on fire, though. Uh, hey, I hope the drums don't mess up your upholstery, man. Nah, I'm in a band, too, man. Oh, are you? Yeah, I'm a lead singer, man. Ah, that's it, Yeah, hey, we play everything from, like, Santana to El Chicano, man. You know, like everything. Hey, I'm just a love machine. And I don't work for nobody but you. I'm just a love machine. And I don't work for nobody but you. Well,
my temperature rise And then I go for her thighs And then I say guacamole in my juice Guacamole in my juice Hijo de la chingada Is that a joint, man? God damn, it looks like a, yeah, a quarter pounder, man. <laughs> Led Zeppelin. Hey, be careful with that shit, man. Uh, is it heavy stuff, man? <laughs> Will it blow me away? <laughs> put your seatbelt on, man. I'll tell you that much. Show love to those who come real with it. Life's a bitch, but I deal with it. I'm in it to win it like guys and men. Could drink about 15 Heineken's. I'm not born again, but if I was, I'd Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's At TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the At TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.